Good morning, church. We are going to be in Second Peter today. It is a great day. Like I, this is my time of year. I just came back. Uh, I got to do Wednesday night and Thursday night with the fifth graders out of Bradford Woods. Crisp, cool night air. This is it. This is. Lee and I have talked about this. We want to retire from teaching to do ministry in a place that has a climate that is always Indiana autumn. That's that's where we want to go. We want we want to do mission work someplace where it's like that all year round. I don't. I don't know that God will bless us and give us that ability, but that's, that's, we keep praying that and we'd ask you to pray that direction as well. I don't know. (laughs) That's probably a little selfish, but it has been a wonderful morning, a wonderful time in small group, wonderful time just uh, fellowshipping with one another as well. We are going to be in 2 Peter today. We're we're continuing on. We're looking at 1 and 2 Peter together as Peter has written these letters, and we're going to be diving in. We're going to read all of or uh, chapters, in, in chapter 1, we're going to read all of verses 1 through 15, but we're going to focus today in the sermon on verses 1 through 4. But if you've got your Bible, go ahead, open it up to Second Peter, chapter 1. If you don't have your Bible, that'll be fine. You'll see the words of Scripture up on the screen. Let's go ahead and hear the word of the Lord. Simeon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He granted to us His precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith in virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours, and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be for in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Therefore I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that, have, that you have, I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I just thank you so much today for your word. I thank you for us being able to take your word and, and, and look at it verse by verse, chunk by chunk, to, to really see the context in which you're writing to it. 
Father, I thank you that, that your word has been preserved for us by the Holy Spirit, that we may take it now and apply it to our lives to do exactly as Peter is saying here, to remind ourselves through your word of the gospel message that saved us, that we heard, that changed our lives. Father, as we, as we look at this, we ask that you would just continue to speak to our hearts through your word. You would, you would challenge us, you would convict us, change us and draw us closer to you. And it's in Jesus' precious and heavenly name I pray. Amen. All right, so we've just wrapped up 1 Peter, and today we're starting into 2 Peter. And whenever we begin a new book of Scripture, it's always good to kind of go back and to look at those five W's. Remember the five W's from elementary school? Who, what, when, where, why, right? Who wrote the book and who's, who are the initial readers? What genre or what style is the book written in? When was the book written, Right? Where was it written from and where is it going, especially when we're looking at a letter? And why did the author write it and why is it important to us today? So that's what we're going to take a quick look at as we kind of dive into 2 Peter here, right? This book was written as a letter by the Apostle Peter, okay? We're also told in verse 1 that in, in, the, in the letter's greetings, he uses his full name, Simeon or Simon Peter. Simeon is the Hebrew spelling of it, Right? to introduce himself as the author. And I love this, that he introduces himself as a servant of Jesus Christ, right? Simon Peter, a servant. He, he starts out with that, a servant, doulos in the Greek, right? Which means bondservant or slave. He's showing us the humility that he has learned since that night he denied the Savior three times. Peter, as, as the thing as we've been discussing in small group as we're going through these, how humble Peter's letters feel compared to the Peter that we see in the Gospels. This is, this is old man Peter who's lived a life and, is, and is, has learned a lot of lessons about Christ in that way. He's, he's showing us the humility that he has learned since that night. And, and he can, with confidence, call himself both a slave and an ambassador of Christ. Think about that. I'm, I am Jesus' servant, but not just a servant. Jesus, in his grace and in his mercy and in his love, he allows me to be an ambassador, one who speaks on his behalf. Church, this is something we need to look at and think about. May we seek to serve and represent our Lord with this kind of humble confidence that we see Peter having. A, a confidence that says, I know who, who I am and I know where I stand before him, but I know what he has given me and how he has blessed me and made me more than I could have thought myself to become. As Peter's writing this letter, it's written just about the time or just before his own martyrdom, sometime between about A.D. 64 and A.D. 67, probably at the latest about 67 years after the birth of Christ or so, meaning that, that 2 Peter was written only about four or five years after the first Peter was written. Peter's likely in prison at this time. He's waiting his execution in Rome uh, as, as he's writing this letter, and I, I find it interesting that here he is in prison waiting execution, and he's more concerned with the faith and spiritual well-being of those whom he is writing to than his own imminent grave danger that he's about to face. This is something else when we look at, at the apostle here as he's doing this. Church, may our last days, may our last days be focused on passing Christ on to others as Peter is focusing on passing Christ on to others. I pray that through his great mercy and his great grace, that as followers of Jesus Christ, we have a legacy in us of wanting Christ more 
than our own well-being. Do you hear that? Peter desires Christ more than his own well-being. May we have that as well. May that be a a prayer of our hearts and, and for us to want others to have Christ more than our own safety. We pray for these these missionaries every Sunday, and many of them have their initials only. And yes, we're praying for them in in initials only because of their safety, but not just their safety. We pray for them in initials only because of the safety of those whom they have reached for Christ. That if, if people know those names and they're out there, as we broadcast this on the internet... Not only is that missionary potentially in danger, but those that they have reached for the gospel are potentially in danger as well. But it's interesting to me that those folks are willingly, gladly realizing that Jesus is worth more than their own personal well-being and their own safety. We do that as a protocol. But those missionaries are not afraid of the gospel message, and they're not afraid to present it to others. May we pray that we be that bold here as well. Peter continues writing this letter to the church, and, and it's more, li- more than likely to that same group of folks that he was writing to in First Peter. We don't know for sure, but it seems logical to, to kind of go that way, that he's, he's writing to those churches that are dispersed out. They're out there in Pontus, Galatia, Asia, Bithynia, Right? All of these places are located in what we would consider the modern-day country of Turkey. Right? But this letter would become very widely circulated among the churches, and it was preserved by the Holy Spirit for us today as well. And, and while we don't know the specific churches, and we may not know the specific individuals who received and, and read this letter from the pulpits of those churches, we know that Peter referred to them as those who have attained a faith of equal standing with our own by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Wow. These folks have a faith that is just as precious as the salvation that Jesus blessed his earliest and closest followers with. That word we translate obtained means obtained by lot. Right? Peter's reminding the reader that, that their faith is, is equal to the faith of the apostles. And that faith of the apostles, even to the apostles, was a gift of Jesus' grace in their life. This is amazing. It, it really is amazing to me to think about it. That, that God's grace is so vast. God's grace is, is so rich that you and I can have faith on equal standing with one who not just walked with Christ who lived with him for three years in ministry, but was one of the chosen three to witness Jesus' transfiguration that night. One of Jesus' best friends of the 12 that he maintained closeness to. See, it's God's saving righteousness here. That wonderful gift of grace from Jesus Christ that is, that is doing this here. It, that, that it's that, that that gives believers in Christ this equal standing before a righteous God. We're all made his children, adopted heirs through Jesus Christ. And as he continues in this, this first verse, 
He says he calls Jesus both God and Savior. Acknowledging here the deity of Jesus Christ. And it's one of the clearest acknowledgments of the deity of Jesus Christ in all of the New Testament. Peter's boldly saying that the God of all the universe, the one who created everything, who imparts righteousness to believers, has a name. And his name is Jesus. And he is the one worthy for us to follow. And he's writing this letter to us. And he's kind of hinted at it here. Because he said numerous times to remind, to remind, to remind as we read through verse 15. He's writing this letter to us as a reminder that by God's grace that we can live a life pleasing to God. And it's only by God's grace that we can live a life pleasing to God. He uses that phrase, a faith of equal standing in ours in verse 1, and it gives us a little bit of the foreshadowing of some of the themes that are going to be popping up in 2 Peter. Themes of falling, and then themes of strengthening after the fall, right? And, and they're going to come, to come to us as we see and we read through the rest of this letter. And as we study through this letter, we're going to see that, that it's the grace of God in Christ that transforms us, that empowers us to follow Christ and to live righteously, even in the face of opposition, even in the face of false teaching. In verse 10 of this chapter, I, I like that he says, he exhorts us all right, to, be, to be more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. I think it's interesting that Peter writes it that way. The Spirit led him to do that. Be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and your election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. I think Peter knows what it meant to fall. He'd been there, right? I'm sure as he's writing this down, I'm going I'm to speculate a little bit here. But I'm sure that Peter, as he's writing this down, remembered the events of Matthew 26. Right? When Jesus said to the apostles, would all scatter because of his arrest. But Peter would have also then not just remembered Jesus saying that, he would have remembered his own bravado when he told Jesus he would never leave. And then Peter, I'm sure, remembered Jesus' voice saying to him, truly. I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And I'm sure Peter could remember hearing that rooster at sunrise and the pain of a fall from Christ. Peter wants the readers of this letter, the initial readers some 2,000 years ago, as well as us today, to stand firm in the faith we have in Christ. He wants us fixed and deeply rooted. He doesn't want us to suffer that pain, that hurt that he knows. He wants us to learn from his mistakes. And so he's loving us as he's writing this letter to remind us of that. But the other thing is, is that Peter has experienced something that is also glorious. Because Peter knows that if we do fall, our Lord will strengthen us when we turn back to Him. But our Lord is, is eager to forgive when we go back to Him. Peter was charged to care for the flock of God. If you love me, feed my sheep. 
He said that three times to Peter. But Peter went ahead and fell and then was strengthened by the grace of Christ. And now here we see in him writing these letters to the church. And and beyond that, just we have this history now. We have this, this record of him faithfully fulfilling his charge from Jesus Christ. And then in verse 2, we see Peter kind of sneak in a little prayer, a prayer of blessing being offered up on behalf of the readers. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Peter desires grace and peace for the readers. Grace is this resource that, that, Christ, that Christ gives us to convert sinners into saints, right? It, it's, it's what happens there. Grace is, is that resource that God gives to convert us from that spot where we were sinners, rebelling against him into saints, those who love him. And then it's that grace that takes those saints and sanctifies them, making them more and more like him. And peace, that peace is this joy and contentment that we have in being made right with God. And as Peter offers this blessing, we see this reoccurring theme and message of the letter. A true knowledge of God and Christ, right? May peace and grace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. See, he, he's saying this because, because he, this grace and this peace that Peter desires for all the believers to have comes from a multiplied knowledge of God and Jesus. The more we know God and Jesus, the more grace and peace we have. The more grace and peace we have, the more we're going to want to know God and Jesus. Then the more we know God and Jesus, the more grace and peace we have. And it's just going to be this this well that just won't end and continues to bubble up of all of this. And he, he wants that for us. He wants us to have that. And as he's given this blessing and he's praying this blessing, it has kind of two components that he's offering up. The blessing of knowing Jesus and then the blessing of being reminded of of where we've come from and where we're going. See, this blessing of knowing Jesus is is fleshed out fully through the gospel. As Peter offers this blessing, he offers it in the knowledge of God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace are only found in knowing God. You can only know God through a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. That's it, right? That we are created by God and we are wonderfully made in his image, yet we are separated from him by our own sin. But God in his love and his grace do not wish to see any of us separated from him. And it is in his great love that he provides a way to close that separation. And that way is Jesus Christ. And while we were still sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. He willingly sacrificed his life on the cross to pay our sin debt. Jesus' work on the cross atones for the sin you and I have in our lives. His work, not ours. His work bridges the gap between God the Father and us. And when we repent and call on Jesus to forgive us, and we surrender our lives over to him, we are then seen by God, God the Father, as his children. That's the gospel message. 
And Peter's reminding us of that, that that's fleshing it all out, that that's what it is. That's the knowledge of God through Jesus Christ. And Peter wants the readers of this letter to know Christ intimately, to know Christ experientially. That's how we stand firm in our faith. That's how we hold fast to the faith. That's how we get a faith that is of equal standing to Peter's faith and the faith of the other apostles. And this is so important. In 1 Peter, he reminded us that we are sojourners in a world that wants to derail us and to wreck us. He reminded us that we're we're called to live in a counter-cultural style of life. Right, the, the life that is devoted to Christ, and it's going to be completely different than the life of the world that wants us, that the life the world wants us to live. It's going to take a firm knowledge of Christ to withstand the pressures and the pulls the world has for us. Our goal is to make it home. Right? Home for me is not on Walnut Street. Home for me is heaven with Jesus. Our goal is to make it home. And you cannot reach your goal. You can't do that. You can't reach your goal if you don't have knowledge that is based on the truth. Peter wants his readers to make it. He wants those of us today reading this letter to make it. And the only way to make it is to have a real knowledge that comes from a real intimate and a real experiential relationship with Jesus Christ, God of all the universe. You can't make it home without that. And he's reminding us that. And there's that connection between knowledge and needing to be reminded. Right? There's a real necessary connection to that. Chris was talking about helping Emma with her homework earlier. Right? She's, she's taking those calculus classes now and, and some of those those upper level math classes. And he was like, man, I'm looking at it and uh, I'm seeing her work them out. And then I'm like, oh yeah, I remember how to do this stuff now. I'm glad I don't have to, right? Like that's, that's kind of where you feel about some of these things. But you have that knowledge. It's there. But we tuck knowledge often way back into the farthest recesses of our mind. We tuck it into corners that we don't want to go get the broom and sweep the cobwebs out of. We can't do that with the gospel. It is dangerous. Church, it is dangerous if we do that with spiritual truths. But it happens. We can't afford to forget the truth of the gospel that has saved us and that has brought us to faith. We cannot afford to forget that. We don't need new spiritual truths. What we need are deeper and clearer understandings of the eternal truth of God. And we do this by spending time reading His Word, spending time fellowshipping with other believers who are going to remind us of the gospel truth. Peter is like every preacher and every teacher of the Word of God before him, and every preacher and every teacher of the Word of God after him. He feels compelled and responsible to remind God's people of what God has said in the Word and to seek truth there and there alone. 
We need this repetition. God uses repetition throughout Scripture to teach His people truth. The Old Testament, we see Moses given the tablets of the law in Exodus. Then in Deuteronomy, the law is repeated again. That's just one example. The synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John's not really a synoptic. Sorry, I got carried away. But the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all tell the same story of Jesus. But they tell it from a different perspective. But it's the same story. It's that repetition. We know repetition works in learning. How did you learn your multiplication facts as a little second or third grader? You repeated them with flashcards until you got sick of staring at flashcards. How did you learn the alphabet as a little kid? You sang that song and didn't realize that it wasn't one letter, L-M-N-O. Right? Until you got to first grade and they saw it up on the board. Repetition is necessary for us. We need this repetition for us to learn. And it is a blessing to have repeated reminders of the gospel truth that brought you to Christ. Those reminders will deepen your relationship with Him and will make you more firm in the faith. Verses 3 and 4. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of Him who called us to His glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is the world because of sinful desire. That's it. That is it. That is the big idea that is going to carry us through the whole of Second Peter. God himself has provided everything for the Christian and all things pertaining to life. God himself, in his infinite power, acted to accomplish salvation in your life. Salvation is an act not only uh, that God can accomplish or that only God can accomplish, and it's not anything that humans can do for ourselves. It's something only he does. And he has called us to his own glory, and he has called us to his own excellence. And as followers of Christ, we are called to live in harmony with God's own moral character. See, God gives us the power to be like Christ. That's weird to think. God gives us the power to be like Christ. And that's what he wants. Once he adopts us, he makes us his children. He wants us to all look and act like Jesus. See, God created mankind in his image. But at the fall, Adam and Eve there in Genesis chapter 3, right, the fall that image became corrupted. It became perverted. God can know the difference between good and evil and will always, always, always do good. Humans can know the difference between good and evil and never, ever, ever do good. I think it's R.C. Sproul that said, yes, we have a free will. We have a will to choose bad or to choose worse. And that's how we are before God. We will never do good the way God does good. 
We simply cannot. So from Genesis chapter 3 at the fall of sin and sin entering the world, the story of Scripture is about God through Christ recovering His image and restoring His purpose that He intended for mankind. That's the story of Scripture and what it's doing. Jesus has provided everything that is needed for His followers to live out everyday life while reflecting His image. It is God that has made it possible for us to grow and mature in the life that He has given us through Jesus Christ. It's already there for us. We just have to take it. And Peter says that it's God's divine power that grants us the ability to be like Christ. Now that word that they use for power is is dunamis. Dunamis is translated sometimes into things like dynamite. But that's not the best way to describe that. There's There's an older underused English word that would be a better word to describe dunamis. As, as it's in Scripture here. And, and that's that word dynamo, right? And you watch some of those, that, that dynamo. Dynamos initially were, were a big generator that turned AC current on, right? That was, that was their, their initial thing. But, but there was a colloquial meaning about a dynamo, that it was a, a machine or a person that was continually, constantly in motion and never seemed to run out of energy almost to the point that they were producing their own. There were even comic books and newspaper characters. There was a, a Captain Dynamo in the 1940s, right, that was, had all this energy and he could use it for good. That's the kind of concept here that, that we're seeing, this constant energy never runs out. That's what God's divine power is. It's constantly working in the lives of believers, and it never runs out of energy. When all the power of God through Christ is at work in a believer's life, you have absolutely everything you need to grow in Christ-likeness. And when all of the power of God through Christ is at work in a believer's life, you have absolutely no excuse to not grow in Christ-likeness. I mean, there is a process to growing in Christ-likeness. I'm not saying it's not. But the beginning of that process starts with the knowledge of Him. Right? When we come to that first saving knowledge of Him, then we have to build more on that. Right? This isn't just, I know who Jesus is. We live in a community, we live in a society that, that it seems like everybody knows who Jesus is, but do they really know Jesus? The answer is no. They don't have an intimate and full knowledge. They don't have a knowledge that is acquired through active participation, thorough participation in Christ. In in our knowledge of Jesus, we are called by His glory and His excellence, right? We're we're, we're pulled out by that. This isn't just knowing Jesus' renown, knowing Jesus' fame, knowing who Jesus is. This is knowing Jesus' splendor. This is knowing Jesus' majesty. This is knowing Jesus' moral excellence. This is knowing Jesus as the divine being through whom all the universe was created. And knowing him well. 
See, we can experience true life and a godly living when we seek to know Jesus in this deep and intimate manner. When we seek to know Jesus in a deep and intimate way, we grow in our knowledge of Christ. And we're going to be transformed, as, as Paul says, into the same image from glory to glory. God intends for us to grow more and more Christ-like. He never intends for the believer in Christ to remain stagnant. Look again at verse 4. Verse 4, he says, kind of at the end, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is the world because of sinful desire. So that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Through those promises that God has given us. Right? We have the promise of being like Christ through God. Right? God grants believers this, these precious and these great promises. These precious and great promises allow us to become partakers of the divine nature. Now, this does not mean that we will believe that we will become part of God. That is not what this means. But we can amazingly share in his nature and become more like him. And as we become partakers of the divine nature, we are transformed into new creatures. And those new creatures, we are, we are new creatures who are delivered from the corruption of this world that is rooted in sinful desire. When Paul writes, having escaped from the, I'm sorry, when Peter writes, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire, he writes about the ultimate freedom we have in Christ. This is a definitive act here. That when we fully realize everything about who Jesus is, when we, when we get there, when we see Jesus face to face, we will then fully be escaped <coughs> this world of corruption and its sinful desires. Our journey here on earth is one of constant struggle. And it's a constant battle against a sinful flesh. But when our journey here on earth is concluded, when it's over, when it ends, we'll no longer wage that battle. We'll never longer face that struggle. To be with Jesus is to be free from the flesh and all that torments it. Church, we should long for that day. We should desire for that. I shouldn't say we should rush into it. Right? Death is still the enemy. But to be free from the flesh and free from its struggles, oh, what a day. What a day that will be for us. As we think about this, we take all of this in, we ask ourselves, what does this mean for us? Well, it means that when God adopts you into his family, he provides for you everything you need to experience a full life in the truth. God does not let his children not have what they need to function in the family. He will change you so that your life will reflect his character, not your former character. See, you can't claim that you don't have what it takes to live for God. You can't claim that. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you can't say, I don't have what it takes to live for God. No. God gives you what it takes to live for God. You just have to ask for it. You just have to pursue it. 
You just have to, to accept it. It's already there. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ yet, I'm imploring you to give your life over to Jesus today. I'd love to have a conversation with you about Jesus. I'd love to talk to you about Christ. I want to see you know Jesus in a real and intimate way, the same as I would want to see those who know Christ already know him in a real and intimate way. But if you are a follower of Christ today, understand this, Peter's letter is for you. It is a reminder to you that the gospel message proclaimed by the apostles in Scripture tells us what it means to truly know God. That knowledge equips you to live your life for Him. Follower of Christ, you want to know God. You want to, you want to be multiplied in the knowledge of God, of Jesus Christ our Lord. You want, you want that grace and that peace that Peter prays for us in verse 2 of chapter 1. Spend time in the Word. Remind yourself of the gospel. Fellowship regularly with other believers who are going to spend time in the Word and remind you of the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a truth you need to remember. It is a truth you cannot afford to forget. Would you bow with me? Father in heaven, I just thank you so much for the day you've given to us. I thank you for this reminder of the gospel and its impact in our lives. I pray, Lord, that as today, as, as followers of Christ, we seek out to know you more intimately, to experience you more, to, to dig deeper into the word, to fellowship with others, to really know who you are. Remind us of the gospel truth that saved us so that we can share it with others as well. Father, I pray that as we take some time to reflect on this, that you would speak to our hearts, convict us, draw us close to you. It's in Jesus' name I pray.